Previously on Star Wars Beyond the Films, Darth Vader just took an explosive to the face. Will he survive? Spoiler warning! Yep. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. The official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 137 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as on Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like the plots and schemes of the rule of two, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan B. Butler. Well, you know, as much as I've been coughing lately, I think I am like the rule of two. That is broken. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we continue to ponder Hayden Blackman's Darth Vader and the Lost Command by Dark Horse Comics, issues 1 through 5. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure beyond the films. We left off in the middle of issue number three out of five. Quick recap, basically, Garrosh Tarkin, a previously non-existent in the EU son of Wilhuff Tarkin, has gone missing. He and his Star Destroyer have disappeared near the planet Atoa in the Ghost Nebula, and despite the fact that Tarkin doesn't like Vader leading the mission because he thinks that Vader is too easily distracted by hunts for Jedi and such, the decision of Palpatine is to send Vader and another Imperial officer who knows Garrosh Tarkin, Officer Shale, to go to the Ghost Nebula and find him. Along the way, they've met Lady Sorrow, who is a local leader, sort of a priestess-type character. We found that these people on the planet are, or in the system are humanoid, but they're not human. They've been fighting against these resistance fighters throughout bits and pieces of the story here. We find that the Star Destroyer that Tarkin arrived in had been sabotaged or had been uh, destroyed by infiltration as opposed to being destroyed in an outright battle. Uh, Tarkin was nowhere to be found. They thought they had found the cell in which Tarkin was being held, but Vader arrives and basically there's just a protocol droid there holding a bomb which exploded as we ended. Bear in mind there are essentially two goals now for the Imperial team though. Shale the Imperial officer who's the friend of Garrosh Tarkin wants to find his buddy alive. Vader, however, has talked to Palpatine, and they've devised a new scheme. Let the child die, or I mean, he's not a child anymore, but let the son of Wilhuff Tarkin die, blame it on the rebels or these resistance fighters, use that anger and rage to hone Wilhuff Tarkin into not just an ally, but a powerful weapon, so to speak, to be used and wielded by the Empire. Uh, essentially turning him into the man that we know in the classic trilogy. Someone who is not just willing to say the ends justify the means in small senses, but is willing to destroy entire planets to use fear to rule the galaxy, so to speak. So we end with that explosion. And Vader basically takes this explosive, holds it to his body, and it explodes held to his chest. He manages to get through it. Basically the only damage that it did was that it blew a big old hole 
in the chest plate that has all the buttons and all the lights and stuff on Vader, uh, his life support control thing, blew a hole in that, and yet Vader seems to be fine. They work their way to the bridge of this facility that they're storming. It looks like it's like a, a base, but it looks more like kind of an oil platform type of thing. So it makes sense, I guess, to call it a yeah. bridge as opposed to calling it like a command center or a capital or whatever. They work their way inside, and the twist to this issue as we get towards the latter pages of it is that the local resistance fighters basically claim that Tarkin arrived and got this particular city to pledge loyalty to the Empire through Garrosh Tarkin. Not actually to the Empire, but through Garrosh Tarkin. And they see Vader's people showing up as breaking that deal. And the question emerges, wait a second, what's going on? Basically, Vader has it in mind that Tarkin has broken away from the Empire. He's setting a little fiefdom up here for himself or whatever, and he is therefore a traitor. He says to Shale, and let me say here that with Shale, I think it'd be really funny, since I have so much trouble remembering the name anyway, that if Shale was later retconned to have been from Naboo, so instead of his name being Shale, his name is Chalet. Just saying. Um, <laughs> but Vader turns to Chalet slash Shale and says, uh, sink the city. Again, this no-prisoners type of attitude, aside from the ones that he experimented on, of Vader's carrying across here. Sink the city, bring our forces back to the Star Destroyer, and then we will discuss these charges against Admiral Tarkin, your friend. We then cut to another of these dream sequences, if you want to call them that, that we've been seeing, where basically Anakin is envisioning, when he's sleeping or meditating, he's envisioning what life would have been like if something had happened differently, basically during Revenge of the Sith, we pinned down, we think, in the previous episode, that essentially it's what if Anakin, instead of slicing off Mace Windu's arm and sending him out the window, what if he had struck Palpatine instead and killed him? So it's he and Padme, she's the Supreme Chancellor of the Republic, they have a boy child named Jin, issues with that we talked about in the last issue, but they have a boy child named Jin, and we're following on from there. So here... We have Anakin talking about how he just spent five days making sure Jin didn't get himself killed while hunting Sith on Trandosha. Makes me say, wait a second. A, why are they hunting on Trandosha? Uh, although that is a good hunting ground for Trandoshans, but does he mean hunting, hunting? Or just going after from a law enforcement type perspective? And Sith? I'm sorry, didn't he wipe out Palpatine? What Sith are left at this point? Unless this is a clever way of trying to work in the uh, lost tribe of the Sith or something, uh, but as they are about to kiss, she says, wake up, please, they're coming for us. Wait, who's coming? And she whispers, assassins, at which point he immediately wakes up, and in his room are a bunch of those, presumably storm commandos, a bunch of the black armored scout trooper type guys who are loyal to Shale, there to kill him, and he says, I know who sent you, and he dies next, as issue three concludes i like the pacing of this one too you know the way it ended at this point it's like each ending is a nice little cliffhanger chapter and but okay after vader takes the blast and the helmet or not the helmet but the head of the uh, protocol droid comes flying out no more attacking from the shadows he says in that panel but his box is busted open it's smoking his helmet's cracked and all this stuff and i have to have a moment here where i question you know his suit to me seems like it's more torn up right now than it was when he was fighting against Luke in the Death Star 2. You know, Palpatine oh, yeah. zaps oh, him yeah. with they... some force lightning, and it's like, wait, that's enough to kill you, but this didn't? Oh, yeah, this looks horrible, and it's to a really important part of his cybernetic self, and yet he doesn't die. This is about as torn up as we've seen him outside of maybe one of the Purge issues and the Force Unleashed 1, and he's just like, whatever. He's, you know... Brushing off his shoulders and stuff and just moving right along. That that strained credulity. He should have looked a little bit more battered. And I don't know. Should have been more battered. But also, I think the damage probably should have been meant to be in a different place. Even if he held it differently or we saw him do something like putting a force bubble around it or something. To have it yeah. just blow up with no sense of how he protected himself and have it blow a hole in that part of his armor, that seems screwed up. Well, and what they could have done is, is, like you said, that was just what I was going to suggest. Have him 
being shown using the force in some form to minimize the blast. And then when they show him walking back and he's got that hole, when he says no more attacking from the shadows, they should have had, you know, either the priestess or, or Thale shale say, uh, you know, Lord Vader, your respirator, it's only superficial, you know, have him say something like that, you know, because yeah, that was the same thing I was thinking too. I was like, wait, that doesn't seem to work. What? Why are they doing that? Or pull a, uh, Pull a robot chicken, and the next time he shows up on Coruscant, what's wrong with your light bright? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, and the other one is is Lady Sorrow. I mean, it, she's with them all the way up. You know, he's like, what's the word, you know, what's the Aeotian uh, word for hostage? And then the next scene, you know, he's doing his stuff, and the one commander's like, wait, where's Lady Thar- Sorrow? I sent her back to the ship. My protocol droid can conduct a simple interrogation. And it's like, okay, but why did he send her away? I mean, I don't remember that, like, as to, you know, it seems weird. Like, I don't remember there being a payoff to that as to why Vader sent her off. And it just seems like, okay, you've had her all this time. And what was it that sent her back? I mean, why would you do that? Uh, getting back to the, the visions of the life that he didn't have, you know, uh, Padme's warning, I like the way that his subconscious is able to use that. The Force is speaking through him in that regard. Uh, you know, the mention of the Sith and Jin, like you had mentioned in the last issue or our last episode, these to me are all proof this is the life that he never had. But obviously he's living, you know, in his meditations in this world, uh, you know, this world he's created from himself. He's fabricated in his mind and in the Force. Uh, you know, it definitely seems like like in this dream state – that the force is still present and, and as we see with her whispering assassins, you know, he's able to get messages and glean meaning from it, even though it is a fictional world in his mind. He's living in his own matrix here. Um, I guess two things that stand out to me at the end of all of this. One is there's a question a lot of times for folks who read this, and we talked about it last episode a little bit, that there's a question of where are these visions coming from? Because there will come a point where Lady Sorrow is able to use these visions as a means of communicating with Vader and of of trying to manipulate him in a sense. But you get the sense that that's probably just happening in that last issue because, one, he had one of these imaginings, daydreams, whatever, back on Coruscant. So unless she's stretching all the way to Coruscant, and is preparing for a mission even he doesn't know he's going to be on, then it has to be just him on his own. But also here, it seems to say that even though Sorrow is around, this is not her manipulating him this time, because she will, will find is in league with Shale, in a sense. She's in league with Tarkin and wants to protect him just like Shale does. So it would seem odd if she was the one influencing these visions and causing them to warn him of the incoming assassins. Because the assassins would have been doing what she would have wanted done anyway. She yeah. would have wanted him taken out. So it seems that that sort of uh, puts the lie to the idea that this is all her the entire time, or even when she's present, as far as that goes. Yeah, but, I'm of the impression that, that it's later that she finds a way into the dream. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would say is that you said the pacing worked well for this. I think it didn't. I think the pacing up until the last few pages was fine. But to go from the, now we'll discuss, you know, later we'll discuss the charges against your buddy, this idea of, wait, okay, so he had them pledge loyalty to the Empire, but he didn't report it. Was he stuck there? Are they now fighting them because they were invading? Or are they fighting because Tarkin told them to fight if other Imperials come? There's not really a a clear motivation behind this to say flat out that Garrosh Tarkin is a traitor by any means. Um, there's the sense that maybe he is, depending on what orders he gave his people, but we don't know that by any means at this point. Uh, to go from that vague accusation of possible wrongdoing and Vader just wanting to consider the issues to having Shale want to assassinate him, disobey his orders, and kill Vader, that is a huge huge leap to me in terms of the storytelling here and it happens not only way too quickly but also kind of illogically it seems like there should have been at least another scene in between what we got so that it could make this feel a little bit more realistic i mean this is like saying you know uh i don't know let's say you've got a local sheriff 
who's talking to you and asks, uh, you know, how you've been doing and everything, but in the process of having this conversation, notices, uh, I don't know, the backpack of your son who's come home from college and says, hey, is that Bob's bag? You know, has Bob been downloading any of the, any more of them movies? You know, bootlegging movies? And because he asked that question, you proceed to beat the sheriff to death on your front porch. There's a disconnect here in the logic of what we're seeing, at least in terms of the reaction or the overreaction here. I would have liked to have seen a scene that ratcheted the tension in that sense up at least a little bit so that the ending of this issue didn't feel like we just zipped ahead and missed something. Well, I kind of was under the impression that Tarkin had told the people, you know, hey, if you just tell everybody that we've sworn fealty to the Empire, we'll be okay. And then Vader shows up, you know, the face of the Empire, and he's just like killing everybody. And they're like, but you lied. We've been betrayed. I, and then you have that scene where the, the lady, you know, Vader's in the hangar, and he throws the one guy, and she sees that happen. She screams something and starts running towards Vader, and then Shale blasts him in the back. And he, even he's kind of like hesitant. I, I thought she was attacking you. And that's when Vader's again like sink the ship, uh, sink the city, bring our forces back to the Star Destroyer, and then we'll discuss these charges against Admiral Tarkin, your friend. To me, it was kind of like Thale is kind of coming under the impression that you know Vader is under his own obligations at this point. He's doing his own thing, and he's now attacking a people that have sworn fealty to the Empire. And I'm kind of getting the impression that he's realizing that that Vader's ulterior motives are going to be to bury his his butt you know i mean once he said your friend like i think that to me that was what was like okay we've got to do something about vader you know vader's out of control at least that's that was the impression i got that, that theo was kind of like okay i got to take vader down you know he's going to make me look bad he's going to make us all look bad uh maybe you know as to why he came up with that in you know, that conclusion. Yeah. They could have probably added more to it. There is that to be said about the pacing. I mean, it moves so fast sometimes that, that there are things like, like the force blast and stuff like that, that you kind of left scratching your heads. But I think compared to other stories, I think that it, the holes in those aren't so bad that we couldn't figure a way around it. Like some of the other ones are. Um, I mean, for me, it, it didn't seem too far fetched for commander Thale to do what he's done. It just seems like it zipped forward. It's it's very much like, oh crap! I just cut off Mace's arm and saved Palpatine. I guess I gotta give up and drop to my knees and pledge allegiance to the Sith now, uh, kind of thing. <laughs> um, all right, so that moves us into issue number four. As a whole, here, uh, Vader is confronted by these commandos who, at point, bl- as as was it, uh, Ron White would put it, at point blank range, apparently have stormtrooper aim because in this room where they surround him they're all blasting at him and somehow he manages to deflect everything and winds up driving off a couple of them and he holds one of them uh, before killing him and he says you'll never find captain shale he's gone to the heart of the system in search of admiral tarkin to make himself the hero no no he's trying to save the admiral he thinks you will kill tarkin he is right. Blaster shot and kills him. Uh, so we get a little bit of motivation there. But again, it seems like, whoa, that kind of was a little bit of a leap back in the previous issue here. Uh, and now we find that this battle is going on throughout the ship. You've basically got the Imperial forces split in half. The Black Scout Trooper-style armor commandos that work for Shale are now fighting against the Imperial Commando-slash-Republic Commando-looking characters uh, who are under Commander Voka and still loyal to Vader. They gather up their men, and their plan is to go down to the hangar and activate a tracking device on whatever ship it was that Shale would have taken to leave the Star Destroyer. Before they can do that, though, the Star Destroyer starts to explode at different points from the inside because they've been sabotaged very much like what we saw presumably happening with Garrosh Tarkin's own Star Destroyer when he entered the system with his forces. So... They go to see if they can catch Lady Sorrow and make sure that she goes with them. Turns out she's gone. Shale has taken her with them, which makes sense because she presumably wants to keep Tarkin alive as well. They make their way to the hangar, knock out some more baddies. Well, baddies among baddies, I guess you could say. Lesser of evils. Manage to hop a shuttle and take off down to the surface. Unfortunately, the shuttle itself is damaged and they crash 
on the surface of the planet where they're chasing down Shale and expect to find Tarkin. Only nine troopers wind up surviving, including Voka. So it's basically ten people if you count Vader amongst them. They get ambushed by local insurgents. Vader goes off to battle them, essentially, uh, while the others pull a retreat. They try to get to cover. Unfortunately, as they move to cover, they are met face-to-face by Shale and the insurgents. Shale working with the insurgents here. So we're seeing this idea that there's an allegiance, again, between Tarkin and the people of this system, and Shale's loyalty to Tarkin makes him part of that whole operation, at least in terms of his loyalty. And we see Shale's people essentially just gun down all the clones, while a couple of insurgents pull out flamethrowers and blast Vader with the flamethrowers, knocking him down to his knees so that Lady Sorrow can then step in and use a stun-setting blaster to take Vader into custody. Vader awakens with a breath mask on, which I thought was a nice touch, and his helmet off, being questioned, or being berated, perhaps, uh, by Garrosh Tarkin, who welcomes him to the heart of the nebula, who seems to be deluded, perhaps, into believing that Lady Sorrow actually loves him. Uh, Lady Sorrow wanted power in the system, and now by going after these insurgents, basically, Vader has given the system to her by taking out most of her political rivals. And now, uh, Garrosh basically says that his motivations here are a little bit different than what was expected. Um, He says, I came here to conquer this system for my father. I killed children in his name. And then the Lady Sorrow came to me and offered to reveal all of this system's secrets if I would spare her people. At first I thought she meant hidden riches or perhaps even a new power source. But she gave me so much more than that. She forgave me. And it's this sense of forgiveness for, among other things, killing children and doing bad things in the name of the Empire that is apparently driving the character. And as he walks out the door, in walks, apparently... And in this case, it's during his waking time, his waking hours. It's a vision in front of him. We'll find out later it's a manipulation by Lady Sorrow. But appearing in front of him, seemingly out of a a blinding light, is Padme. Uh, This isn't what we wanted. You have finally come for me. Oh, Anakin, I knew that one day you would destroy us both. As issue four ends. You know, and one thing I want to point out real quick is it, it seemed to me that that was a very pregnant Padme, too. So, it, you know, another aspect of she's using his memories, but not quite tapping into the dream. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Uh, I wanted to say, you know, I love the fact that we see, you know, the way it opens with Phantom Squadron versus Vader. Uh, the fact that they came in while he was in sleep and he woke up and he's got the helmet off and he's still kind of in the, the stasis, but not. Uh, I love the look of this. You know, yeah, it's gritty. Yeah, the art lines and stuff don't always match up. But in this case, this is one of those cases where I'm totally okay with it. Uh, I like the colors. You know, when the first panel, you've got the the red of Vader's lightsaber kind of highlighting everything with the red tint. And then when the when the troopers open up their blasters, they're using stun blasts. Everything's blue, and it goes off and on. And then Vader, he's like jumps towards them. He's ricocheting some of the blasts back with the saber, and he's got his hand extended. And he says, "Then meet your fate." And his hand extended, you know, this is what got me so excited is he's absorbing the blast shot. I think that's just so cool to see him do that, you know. I mean, you'd mentioned, you know, they can't miss. And I was thinking, you know, well, if Vader's using that ability more than just his hand and he's just absorbing everything, like how cool of a power would that be, you know, to be able to center yourself and just absorb that energy. Uh, And then, he, of course, he takes one of the guns from him and he's like, you know, this command is mine. This mission is mine. He just starts blasting all the clones and stuff. I... I don't know, seeing Vader with a blaster in one hand and the saber in the other with his helmet off, like, I don't know, for me, that is awesome. That was one of the things that I was really, really enjoying. Uh, you know, and then they do the little twist, like you had said, you know, that he's going in the middle of the system in search of Admiral Tarkin to make himself the hero. No, he thinks you'll kill him. He is right. And the look on his face and stuff, I don't know. To me, I'm really digging it. It's got like that, that classic Sebastian Shaw kind of look to him. Even though it's, you know, not. Then we get to, you know, like you said, oh, across the whole station here, you see this battle. And Commander Voka, I don't know, was it the intention to make him look like a clone? Because he totally looks like a clone. So I, I was digging on that, too. Little things like that. I was just like, oh, sweet. You know, I'm digging it. But there's a scene when when he's like, you know, 
He's like, we have to get to higher ground. Get ready to move. And then he looks up and he sees the guys that are holding him off and he sees a shadow looming over them. He's like, cancel that last order. And then the next thing you see, Vader force shoves all the guys that were in front of him because it was his shadow looming up and he shoves them all over. And then, of course, focus, kill them all. <laughs> I don't know. I get a kick out of these moments between Vader and his troops. And, you know, Voka, he's not Rex, but yet at the same time, I'm still feeling that Rex like vibe between him and, and Vader. You know, it's a mutiny, Lord Vader. They've executed all the officers and locked down the communications array. None of that matters now, Commander Voka. Gather your men and follow me. And I love the fact that, again, you know, Vader's helmet's still cracked, severely destroyed. You know, uh, again, I get to that moment of, you know, why did they I, okay i guess you've answered it for me that the whole why they blew up the other star destroyer okay they came in oh the star destroyer throws the mystery but again i just like man like things would have went so differently had they taken that star destroyer and you know like moved it somewhere or just hit it removed it to the other side of the galaxy i mean yeah it might be hard to hide a star destroyer but at the same time i'm pretty sure legends have found ways that they've been doing it for years so that works up uh, when they take the shuttle and they go escaping, one of the things that I really enjoyed before they got to that point, you've got the uh, the Phantom Squadron. They're in the hangar and they're like, "Move it!" The rendezvous. We run. Uh, he goes, "We rendezvous with Shale at dusk," and they start running. Oh no, stars! And they th- he, Vader throws a V-wing in a, a one of the uh, old Republic ships, and it's in the midair. I just love the panel. Like the guy's got this like. He was leading the troops, and he's spinning, turning around. And they're, yeah, they're doomed. I love it. I don't know. The panel is just great. I love the way it looks. And then they get in the shuttle, and when the shuttle crashes, you know, because Vader got hit by some of the explosive stuff, he didn't quite get out in time. So the shuttle is just literally flaming and on fire and stuff. And you can see Vader piloting in the top. You know, he's the one that's taking control. And when they crash land on the planet, you don't see the panel. You see the one as it's skidding to a stop. And then in the next panel, you see Vader ripping the front out. And at first I was like, wait, why is he out there? And then I realized, oh, no, the cockpit's open. He was the one piloting. That was kind of cool, you know, that he got down and he was able to physically with his hands in the force just rip the front of the thing open. I... Again, I'm really enjoying the way that this is moving. For a comic, sometimes I don't like it when the pacing goes this fast. But in this case, for me, it was working. Uh, when they get to the spot where, you know, uh, Voka's like, it's a massacre. And Vader's like, no, an execution. Uh, one of the interesting things that struck me was the fact that the 501st at this point, a lot of them, they're, I don't know, they stripped down armor or something. Or Vader's got, like, uh, the the butch squad or something. Like, all the guys, are, three of them have no uh, arm armor from you know it looks like they're wearing tank top kind of things uh a couple of them have their helmets off and stuff i'm like dude why why'd you get so relaxed like you're walking into a massacre zone an execution zone and you got all your armor off what are you doing but it was cool you know it was a moment where i was looking at it like oh okay i can dig that uh and the ambush i i thought the ambush was a well-played part it gave us some really cool scenes of vader jumping around and stuff again the helmet of vader i think i really enjoyed the scenes where vader's helmet is off the most in this comic i mean granted the one at the beginning kind of pushed it with the whole aspect of well hey wait a minute he's not in his chamber but most of the fights kind of seem to happen in the chamber so i really like that art in this case when he's jumping down again that that vocaber thing in the front is really wide doesn't throw it off it just adds a little cartooniness to it but again i like the imagery that we're getting here you know and he's like he's really mad at this point i am darth vader i am a dark lord of the sith i am death you know i i don't know for me i really enjoyed that uh and then we see shale without the armor and stuff and i'm like that that almost threw me off but then i thought about it i was like okay he's already ready like at this point i'm starting to question like was shale always a part of this did he always know why he was coming out there or did he last minute turn and flip the script because at times i i was under the impression that he was a loyal officer but then there were others it was like so so what you were having an issue with in the last issue with with him turning on him now i'm having that issue you know i got to that point now and i'm like wait what's exactly his motivation was he already planning on turning did they get to him at last minute and talked him into you know ditching his armor because at this point he's completely out of his armor he's wearing just like you know pants and he's just got a black shirt on and he's got his his gear and stuff so that was my moment of like wait what's going on with him uh, you know and seeing the priestess blast vader that was kind of cool Moving into, for me, what's probably going to be my favorite scene, which is, you know, with Vader all tied up with that little blue binder and he's got the the little rebreather, like you said, and stuff and him waking up and hearing what Tarkin was saying and all that stuff. To me, that was that was 
this is like the best part of this whole comic. I mean, now you're getting to the part where it's telling you, you know, the motivation of the characters and all that stuff. Why Vader's plan is going to be so treacherously evil and yet so fulfilling at the same time. Uh, the fact that, you know, how she forgave him, it gives you this feeling like, okay, there's more going on to this priestess now. Okay, if she could just forgive him and basically brainwash him, because that's kind of the impression I'm getting here, or get him to wake up to the light, uh, in a sense, you know, I mean, Star Wars, the mythos has always been playing with this aspect of Palpatine has been, you know, covering the galaxy in darkness, darkness was going into everybody, and then in the legend side of things, Palpatine was actually influencing people to the point that when Vader died, they didn't even know what to do because he'd been influencing him for so long. So it's like, did she wake him up out of that evil influence that Palpatine had seeded in his heart somehow through everything he'd been doing? So there's that, you know, there is an aspect of, you know, the pacing is going so fast that there's some things that I wish it would have explained more. But for me, you know, typically I'd be a little more anal about that and and, and it would be a turnoff. But Something about the way that the style is done, it didn't do that for me for once. I actually really enjoyed it. And I, it's funny because I remember when I went through it the first time in single issues, it wasn't that great. It didn't seem that cool. It was all right. And now going through it, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it a lot more. It was probably one of my favorite Vader, you know, stories out there. And I'm looking forward to getting to the, you know, Ghost Prison next because I remember liking that one a lot too. Uh, but this one, I don't remember enjoying it as much as I am on the second read through. So getting to the scene, you know, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to as we get into the issue five because the lighting and everything and knowing what's coming next. And I like the fact that, you know, you see when Vader's leaning up against the pole and he's all tied up, you can see a little oxygen tank that he's hooked up to. I, I mean, those little attentions to detail to me are, are classy. I love it. Now they care about his life support system. Now that he's got a hole in his freaking chest for like an issue and a half. Now they give a <laughs> crap about his life support. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good issue for the most part. Uh, I like the fact they finally give some motivation to why Tarkin disappeared. We will see the motivation of Shale in the next issue here. Uh, I agree with you. When Vader has his helmet off, it's awesome the way they play this out. And it's one of the things that we usually don't get with Vader, which is facial expressions. So we can see sort of the, the, the mood on his face. So that works out very well, but it can only be used, of course, in very limited circumstances. So for a lot of this, of course, he's in his helmet, but he's got him out of his helmet so much that we get a little bit more depth to what we see with the character expression-wise than we ever really tend to have before. Uh, I'm with you on some of the oddities of that battle sequence, though. Um, you're right, not only are they walking with some of them with their helmets off and some of them with no sleeves, if there's any thought that these guys just, they, they had to scramble so they didn't wind up bringing all their armor parts with them, hence some of them not having sleeves and not having helmets, there's one guy who has his helmet off, but it's attached to his belt. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely Yeah, it's like, this the off. jungle scene? Like, oh, it's so hot. It's kind of like Predator. <laughs> Presumably. Um, I, I did learn the interesting uh, thing that if a sniper blast takes out a clone through his helmet, the sound effect is SPAC, apparently. S-P-A-K. SPAC. And I will say, the, the, the action sequence was pretty cool, but, and I like the fact that it's used in the way that it is. You get Vader basically being completely you know, overpowering everybody he's up against until the flamethrowers come out. The flamethrowers are an interesting idea because it's harder to deflect that than it would anything. I mean, maybe a telekinetic shield or something, but it's not like you can deflect that with a lightsaber blade. Then again, we thought that about force lightning until Attack of the Clones, when apparently you can catch force lightning on your lightsaber. But a couple things stood out to me that kind of took me out of the scene. It's cool the way Vader overpowers him. It's very cool the way that it winds up being a ruse that winds up getting all of his troops killed. Stinks for the troops, but it again, it puts Vader in an, a worse and worse position as this issue goes along to put him at sort of his lowest point as we head towards the next issue. But it seems as though the artist cannot keep track of whether or not Vader's helmet is damaged. Because as you mentioned, it's shown as damaged in some of these, but not everywhere. And he can't seem to figure out at what point and to what extent Vader's cape has been torn up. It was torn up a little bit by the explosion, then the damage appeared to be gone. Now, all of a sudden, the damage is back big time all over the place before the fight, and afterwards, a lot of it will seem to be back together again. It seems as though the cloak is very Venom-esque. It just sort of morphs with whatever the scene needs. 
And Vader is a lucky Sith because when he jumps and slams down in the middle of those uh, resistance fighters, they kind of have a stunned moment of, oh crap, before they start firing, which gives Vader a chance to stand there with his arms held out to his side, expo exposing his damaged chest plate to them, saying, I am Darth Vader. I am a Dark Lord of the Sith. I am death. If at that moment they would have said, uh, what, what's the line out of uh, uh, The Crow? And you'll have to censor this. Uh, oh, this is already boring the shit out of me. Kill him. If they had just started shooting, <laughs> Vader would have been in trouble. But instead, they stand in awe, and nobody's firing as he just stands there with his arms out to the sides, presenting a perfect target to them. That girl in the background in the top corner, she should have been like, what does the fox say? Pew, 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 pew. Exactly. Just taking him out. Um, I do think there's possibly a little bit of confusion because of the way the coloring works. Uh, for some, some have asked what kind of weapon it was that she used to take out Vader. It is just a stun blast, but it is a little bit confusing because then you find that the electrified or whatever you want to call it ropes that Vader is being held with are also the same blue, the same type. But remember, this is the same comic series that sometimes draws a lightsaber as if it was one of those ones that you can buy in real life, where instead of it being a blade of energy, it looks like it's a blade of energy encased in a glass tube. So, eh, they're not exactly exact with quite a bit of this artwork. This is also the sequence where he's talking with Garrosh Tarkin, where Tarkin's face changes so many times throughout the panels depending on how it's being drawn that you think that he is either made of mashed potatoes or he is Clayface from the Batman cartoon. But art aside, it winds up being a pretty good sequence there. I will agree the the, the motivations that he gives. Yeah, I'm kind of with Vader there like, oh, he fell in love with her and that's why he's doing all of this stuff. Wow, lame. Because there's so many tales out there, Star Wars and otherwise, where that's the motivation for the apparent villain. Oh, he fell in love with the wrong person, and now he's doing things all for her. It makes sense, but it's so ungodly overdone. But thankfully, he then gives the she-forgave-me reason, mm -hmm. which twists this on its head. And we'll come back to that as we get into the next issue. So, it works. But it's another of these issues where the art kind of drags it down. But it, I would agree. This is something that you need to read as a whole. Individual issues spaced out over months. Difficult to follow in some cases. You don't get the impact of it. Reading it all in one sitting. Much stronger story. A very good Vader story overall. And that brings us into issue number five. The final issue in this particular Darth Vader arc. Uh, we have the vision, so to speak, of Padme coming to Anakin as he is bound to this pole by the electrified blue ropes or whatever it is. Anakin, look at you. You're so, so broken. I am only what my masters have made me. Self-pity does not suit you, Anakin. Do not speak that name again. Anakin Skywalker is gone. He died with you. Then there's no one for me here. And she starts to walk away. And that prompts him to go all Incredible Hulk, uh, or Harrison Bergeron, if you've seen 2081, the adaptation of the Harrison Bergeron story, and just completely breaks this crystalline column that he's attached to to free himself. And he goes raging, bursts his way into command center, the palace, whatever room you want to call it. It's a pretty unadorned crystalline room in which Tarkin is with sorrow and shale. Bursts his way in, but he's delusional. Right? Where is she? And he's wanting Padme. He should know this is just a vision, but for whatever reason, in his adult state, he believes that she's actually there, or at least thinks that she could actually be there, possibly. So he is just tearing through the place, wanting her, and as Garrosh and Sorrow escape, Shale pulls out his blaster and basically pulls a... I, I couldn't help but think... I, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Uh, I was born in 79. To me, one of the most iconic cartoon moments of my childhood was X-Men Days of Future Past and such in the X-Men ca cartoon series from Fox in the 90s, 
and there's this great iconic moment where Bishop, thinking that Gambit is the one who's going to cause this horrible dystopian future, pulls out his cannon when Bishop or when uh, Gambit walks in the room and says, "Traitor, your future ends now!" and fires, and we get it to be continued. That's what this reminded me of because Shale pulls out his blaster rifle, says, "Vader, your mission ends here," and you get this battle between Vader and Shale. But Shale, of course, is greatly overmatched. He's trying to wield Vader's lightsaber against him and doesn't get very far with that at all. Vader's smacking him down, you know, where is my wife? Even going for the guy's eyes, though he apparently doesn't gouge them out. And as a broken shale lay on the ground, we get his motivations here for why he was more loyal to his friend than he was loyal to the Emperor once it was realized that Vader was likely going to kill him. Uh, says, uh, I know you... You think I have betrayed the Empire, but it is the Empire who has betrayed me. I swore an oath to be a good soldier, not a slave. The Emperor doesn't know the difference, so now my loyalty is to Garrosh alone, my friend. And Vader lifts him up. Your death will change nothing. It will mean nothing. Heh, says the broken shale. Will yours? And it turns out that he's lined himself in straight-up extremist style with explosives. And... Basically, Vader has to throw him back. He explodes suicide bomber style. Vader apparently is able to save himself just by ducking his head away. He must have thrown him pretty far away. And that explosion is essentially a signal to Sorrow and Garrosh that he's dead. He's gone. He's sacrificed himself to save them. Uh, and they're trying to escape. The two lovers are trying to escape. And Vader, while trying to pursue them, encounters Padme again. Another vision of Padme, in which she says, you know, know that I never left you. Says, but you did leave. You died. No, I did not die. You killed me. You. Which again, has to be playing off what Vader thinks, because according to Lucas, she lost the will to live. So, it wasn't him that killed her. She sort of killed herself, or at least didn't try to save herself. And he drops to his knees, and admits it. Yes, I killed you. I killed you. I killed Anakin. That I killed the child you carried. And I hate myself for all that I have done. She says, Lord Vader, referring to him by what he thinks of himself as now, I forgive you. And we even get a tear coming from these singed tear ducts of Vader as she fades away. And then we find out why she was there. In comes Sorrow, revealing that actually... It wasn't Padme herself. Because I'm right here, Lord Vader, still in your heart, in your head, where I have been all along. Though it must be all along in this issue and at the end of the last one because we analyzed how that doesn't make sense for the previous issues. It says, it is my gift to see and let others see. Essentially, she's offering forgiveness and offering, in a sense, a chance for him to atone for his actions. Let them live. Uh, let their survival be his repair to himself, right? He's all scars. Uh, they can just be damaged flesh and nothing more, not emotional scars, if he's simply willing to atone and essentially let them live. Um, if not for them, then for the child that Sorrow is carrying. And Vader basically says, screw it. He starts force-choking Garrosh, and then rather than killing them outright or letting them get away, he sort of gets caught up in his own self-hatred at the same time, which I thought was interesting, albeit a repeat of what we got with the Star Wars Tales story Resurrection when he hates himself enough that he can put his lightsaber against his own chest and turn it on to stab the doppelganger of Maul behind him and all, so we've kind of seen this done before. But what he hates enough, he starts using the Force and brings the entire room, the entire crystal room, down on them, burying all three of them. And we pick up shortly thereafter inside the medical chambers where he is being repaired. He was buried alive for days. He survived because the dark side gave him all that was needed. The traitors are destroyed. The insurgency is destroyed. The system has been conquered. He got what he wants. Tarkin believes that his son was murdered by the natives, so hatred is growing. He's becoming a much more powerful servant. And yes, Vader has done very well indeed, but there's still much to do. And we end with Vader, of course, 
dropping to his knees unbidden this time, unlike last episode where we talked about how in the first issue he had to be told to kneel and was resistant to it, he kneels with the question, of course, what is thy bidding, my master, as the series ends. Yeah, I mean, there are so many things in this one that, that really kind of push, you know, everything you've been questioning about all the way up to this point. And then it's like, here comes your answers. You know, Vader's confusion, you know, that's a sign he's under a spell in Tarkin that he and Tarkin were under. Uh, you know, I, I like the way that that kind of plays out. Um, Vader seems not to need the breather anymore. That was an interesting part. It was like once he went into rage mode uh, and kicked it off, it was like, okay, now I don't need it. That probably, though, that rage mode when he says come back and he busts the pillar, I think that's probably the one weirdest panel in the whole thing. Like, it, he just looks really weird. Like, I don't know. Suddenly he looks kind of like Bane or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that was one of the scenes where the art got a little weird for me. Um, you know, when you were mentioning the fact that Anakin thought he'd killed, you know, Padme, I think that works too because it's like, you know, she reached into the things that Anakin thought, and Anakin thought he killed her, so it makes sense the priestess would latch onto that and and, and play it out the same way. No, I'm the one that killed you, uh, and I love, I love again the Vader without the helmet on. I mean, yeah, there's moments where I'm questioning you know, why is he even breathing, but. It makes sense, you know, she's gone with the pregnant Padme and all this stuff because this is, you know, as far as she gets, which again plays into that. Obviously, she wasn't doing it the whole time or the Padme wouldn't have changed. They'd have continued to use the Padme of the future. Uh, so that was kind of interesting as well. Uh, and, and the look on the Padme's face in the last part, right before she does die, forgive you. I mean, that's like, she looks really creepy there. Like, I didn't it's, quite understand why. <laughs> I think it's almost like supposed to be a Sidious type deformity or something but yeah she looks like she's either palpatine ish or maybe he's getting this vision maybe she's plucking the vision of padme out of his head but he also he had a california raisin song stuck in his head and they blended together <laughs> that could be too i mean well and then it gets to shale it's like okay so shale decides to die but he still thinks he's rescuing this guy so has shale too fallen under the sway of the priestess i mean there seems to be something going on with her she talks about the fact that she's able to see things and make other people see it so i, I get that aspect of her power and yet when vader decides to do like you were saying when he tears the whole roof down she seems okay with it you know, like she says at one point, she's like, let our survival be your repair. And that's when she realizes, you know, it's not going to work. She talks about the unborn child. And then, of course, Anakin goes nuts and starts killing. And she goes, then it is as I believed. So something about the child is, you know, there, there's something there. Like she knew something about the child because she used the Padme as a pregnancy. And as soon as she mentioned the child, Vader starts killing the guy. And it, you know, I mean, there was something there that she... You know, a gleam that I didn't understand. I don't know what it is she figured out. And Vader figured it out too because he says no. And that's when he brings everything down. And in that moment when she realizes he's going to bring everything down, Tarkin's son's like, no, not yet. We had no time. And she goes, shh, it's all right. We had time enough. And and the next scene, it shows the two of them kind of like, you know, having this, uh, uh, you know, Jarrell and, and Lara kind of uh, – you know, Kryptonian, the world's coming apart, but we're sending our kid off so we can die happy moment. It's like, wait, what is this epiphany that she's having? Like that, that kind of threw me out of the moment there. But it gets that aspect of, you know, where we go next, where, you know, you were buried alive for days. How did you survive? And he's like, the dark side gave me all that I needed. And I believe in one of the earlier issues, they talked about something along those lines too, that he should have been dead. And yet the dark side kept him alive. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool too, that, you know, there's that aspect that, you know, like Ruin and some of the other Sith Lords of old and Legends universe that, you know, Vader too is one of those that should have already died, but he's let the dark side keep him alive. Uh, and you see again that his arms, the robotic limbs and stuff have once again been upgraded. So, you know, you're seeing him slowly being upgraded more and more, but I don't know, there's something about seeing Anakin all chopped up with just his, you know, his uh, Flash Thompson kind of look where he's got no legs and his arms are stumps and he's hanging in the air with all the robots working on him like in some ways i kind of almost wish they'd have gone with that route versus what we got in episode three although episode three worked really well in the frankenstein model but there's something about having him floating in the air with all the parts moving towards him and stuff i don't know i really dig how that works and you know the fact that they were able to turn it all on on tarkin in that regard i mean to me it's kind of like oh what am i trying to think here uh oh 
yeah, the lack of plot. That's why I was like, why do I keep thinking of lack of plot? It's a lot like the way the lack of plot worked. You know, I mean, at the end, the way it its twist was this seemed to be what they were trying to do there, but it worked, which I, I guess I, I think because the lack of plot, the ninth assassin came after this. That's probably why I didn't like it. It was like, well, you already did that in lost command and a little twist ending, uh, which is the other side of things. Like, okay, if Palpatine really wanted Vader dead, you know, if he really had no regard for Vader, he could have easily just left him there for dead. So there's still reasons. I mean, he's still got need for, for Vader. So, you know, when you have all these missions where he's throwing Vader, you know, what looks to be like a suicide mission. I truly believe Palpatine thinks that Vader's going to come back from almost everything. I mean, the fact that he came back from the fight against Kenobi, which should have killed him and it didn't, you know, I mean, that's proven to Palpatine that, you know, Anakin's become refined, which is again, getting to something that, that for me as a Vader fan, I've always wanted to see, which again, reading that Delray sampler kind of gave you that same feeling, you know, the midichlorines, they take that from the blood sample and then they got the count off the blood sample from one cell. So if Anakin's got the highest metachlorine count out there, okay, based off of one cell, then if you cut those limbs off, then it stands to reason that Anakin's going to have less cells in general. And if those cells are what, you know, allows you to talk to the force and allows you to have the command of the force and the power in the force, as Lucas says in the commentaries, well, then it would make sense that when Anakin gets chopped up by, by uh, Kenobi, that what Anakin is then at that point is basically a neutered version of Darth Vader. But what we're seeing is Anakin being refined and his hatred, you know, sharpened and all that stuff to the point where he makes up for it, maybe even overcompensates and makes up for and has more, you know, force command and force power because of the fact that he's gone to the dark side and he has all these other things helping him with the robotics and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool to see that progression as well. So I don't know. For me, I really enjoyed, you know, where we went with this series, uh, you know, Covers, we'll get to that in a minute. Nathan, did you have anything else that you want to say before we get to the covers? Uh, yeah, on issue five, a handful of things. Um, one, uh, don't get me wrong here when I talk about Padme losing the will to live and everything. I still think that is a crap explanation for her death. To my mind, it is still a matter of she was physically killed by Anakin. It was just a matter of she could have survived the injuries possibly if she would have been willing to fight, but instead she dies, right? That's That whatever happened through the Force to her and the Force choke and everything, that's what caused the complications that caused her to die. And the, the Legends continuity at least bears that out in different places, like when Typho starts looking into her death and everything, where it's not just she was perfectly fine, and then she just decides, I'm going to let myself die even though I've got a couple of kids. So, yeah, I still would hold Anakin responsible for that, and he does bear the brunt of the blame and uh, his own self-hatred because of that. Did uh, you ever hear the fan theory on that, though? What's that? There, there ones, I, I don't remember who was the one that came up with it, but there was a theory out there that Anakin and Padme had a force bond and that while Anakin was dying, he was trying desperately to stay alive and sucked her life energy through the force. And that as he was dying, she was going to live and that he managed to, through his selfishness, swap that and stole her will to live by stealing her force energy. I, I mean, when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of slick. Very cool, but... I don't think we've ever seen anything in the Legends continuity that would back it up. So yeah, it's one of those things that's, you know, it's it's interesting, but I don't know if we could put any stock in it. Um, I have to wonder what the turning point was in terms of Vader's actions here. Presumably he was always going to just kill him at the very, very end. But I find it interesting that it's at the mention of the unborn child that he finally brings everything down and says, screw it, just, just destroys everything uh, that essentially it's the reminder of what he could have had and that hatred of himself that causes him to essentially deny that same future that he wanted to have to Tarkin and Sorrow. So that was kind of interesting, not to mention the fact that you notice the, the woman's name, Lady Sorrow, S-A-R-O, like Sorrow, S-O-R-R-O-W. I wonder if there's, there's wow. a play on that and the idea of, of the, uh, the ache within Anakin. And such, or just like there's a play on the lost command of it being either, you know, is it referring to uh, Tarkin disappearing at first? Is it referring to uh, Anakin's change in orders? Is it referring to uh, what Anakin could have been being lost and uh, leading the galaxy and the Jedi, etc., etc., etc.? Just like there's the interpretation of what Randy Stradley had said about this being great, the story of one of Vader's greatest failures. 
that angered so many fans before this ever came out, only for it to wind up being that it's a failure in following the original mission, but he got the results that the Sith wanted. Um, I do find it interesting that this really plays into the self-hatred for him, and I like that that's the big motivating factor throughout this last issue. It's much less about what he wants to do for Palpatine and much more about just that self-destructive, self-loathing that he has. That's something I'd... Part of me says I'd like to see that played up more in other stories if it's done right, but it also is something that needs to be measured. You don't want that kind of thing to turn into the Leia pining over the loss of Alderaan and being unconsolable in one story and then flipping back and forth again between, you know, is she or is she not? Getting into Vader's head, how much he's willing to defy the Emperor seems like it changes from story to story at times based on when they were written and who was writing, but this self-hatred thing does not seem to be something that goes away, which is an important motivating factor for the character. So I thought that was a good moment for him. Also, uh, cool to see the push towards making Tarkin that darker character. We talked about this in the previous episode, where basically this is why he's willing to perhaps destroy entire planets, because this turns Tarkin from being a military officer who's willing to go to some extremes into someone who just lets it all go and is willing to just do anything that it takes to destroy the opposition, um, even if it means genocide and such. I thought that was pretty uh, interesting. Speaking of the darker side of this, bear in mind that Tarkin... Uh, Garrosh Tarkin also talks about having killed children being something he needed forgiveness for. Of course, Anakin did the same thing during Order 66. And I guess to me, the biggest thing that stands out, aside from the whole self-hatred thing here, is the forgiveness angle. I would never have expected to see that in a Star Wars story. That forgiveness was something that Anakin needed from Padme or needed from someone for what he had done and that that could be a cleansing thing. And I find it interesting that he is not willing to take the forgiveness. He keeps the self-hatred and doesn't accept the idea that he can be forgiven for what he did. And the scars can be just physical, not emotional. That was an interesting way to take that in that direction. Um, the idea that Anakin could even ever seek forgiveness, that any type of, of, of thought process behind that would even enter his mind, is something that I find kind of striking, not just you know, please forgive me for what I've done, but sort of a bigger picture, forgive the evils that I've done. That's interesting, and I think that even takes it up a notch in terms of the level of of uh, depth that you can get into with the whole idea of forgiveness here, in that, remember, there was a lot of controversy at one point about Anakin's birth, the Parthenogenesis. As I recall, Parthenogenesis was the beginning of the whole thing with one of the, the former... Trolls. How dare you use that big edumacated type word to talk about it? But the the virgin birth, so to speak, or at least the uh, birth with no father through the midichlorians of Anakin, and the idea that this was an allegory tied into all these other historical figures from different religions who are thought of as having similar births, particularly, of course, in the West, Jesus, and this idea of are they trying to make Anakin into Jesus, but doesn't he turn evil? What are you trying to say, Lucas? Kind of stuff. But now we can sort of take this and make that comparison to a bigger degree because now here is the figure who has that Jesus-style birth based on Christian theology and others. And Jesus in Christian theology is the one who gives forgiveness. And here is a figure in that mole who's now gone the tragic, darker route who is in need of forgiveness and hardens his heart to it and refuses it. I think that lends itself to a degree of theological discussion about the connections and allegories within Star Wars as compared to real-life religions that could just explode in terms of size and scope. Um, I'd be really interested in seeing some of our... Uh, I know we have listeners who are into philosophy or who make philosophy their profession, like at a university or whatever, um, I have to wonder what their take would be on that in relation to the other stuff we've seen philosophically, theologically tied into uh, Anakin and the parallels that can be drawn there. Because to have a figure with a Jesus-like beginning and not only an evil ending, but a denial of forgiveness that he himself needs certainly does add an interesting twist to the theological debate. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I'm going to go into covers now. Uh, you know, issue one, I, I like the fact that you pointed out the 25th anniversary. I do not have that copy, but I do remember when it came out. And it was really cool because the bulkheads were opening and, and one side was the two and the other side was the five with Vader and them marching in the front, uh, which is a lot like the issue number one that I have. Uh, it's the one with Vader walking in. You kind of have the ghost nebula behind him. And it kind of looks like he's like walking into the ruins of a ship, maybe. Uh, and he's got all the uh, stormtroopers with the classic episode three look behind him. Darth Vader in command. The coloring on this I like. Uh, you know, most of these covers they're they're pretty good. Um, a couple of them stand out more for me. Uh, the number two issue, for example, is one I really enjoyed a lot. Uh, it's got Vader inside the classic Jedi starfighter. Uh, it, you know, and he's even got like what looks like a uh, Arc 170 kind of flying behind him, getting shot. Attack positions, and Vader's looking over his shoulder. I like it mainly because I like the way that the cockpit's angled in that one. Uh, number three, we've got uh, Darth Vader on the attack as Vader's sitting there, and he's got one of the, uh, what was it, an ATPT, I think, in the background. Uh, one of those really cool uh, looking, it's not the Juggernaut, but it's the ones that we see in episode, uh, or not episode, it's not an episode, in the Clone Wars film when Ahsoka's standing on the uh, viewport of it as they're climbing up the uh, mountainside there. But it's cool. Vader's kind of doing a block. The the helmet on Vader in this one doesn't quite look right. It looks a little off. Like maybe they've got his face pointing a different direction than the helmet itself. Uh, but I like the fact he's kind of in water and they're in murky and the you know everything around him is really dark. A lot of the covers have a blue look to them, so they got that going for him. Number four, I would say number four is probably my favorite. Um, and I say that it's the main reason why I like that is because in the cover Vader's actually fighting clone commandos. Uh, that's the armor they're wearing. But that doesn't actually happen in the comic. But I really like the way it looks on the cover. The pose Vader's got looks nice. As Vader betrayed, someone is going to be sorry. <laughs> it's like, yep, understatement of the year right there. And then, of course, number five, also another good one. It's uh, the red one of the group. Uh, it's got Vader with some flames behind him. And he's got the crystal towers that it's being destroyed. He's throwing his hands forward and knocking them down. Vader will not be challenged. Uh, yeah, so for me, it gets back to that uh, number four. That's my favorite one with number two following it. But none of these are, are any ones that I don't like. Uh, they're all nice. They're all cool-looking covers. They'd all make a really good calendar someday, that kind of stuff. Nathan? Yeah, I like all the covers to this. Uh, even there, there was a hardback trade paperback of this as well that had a pretty cool cover to it, too. It's just basically Vader with a bluish background and such. Uh, the artwork for all of these is really... Quite good. Uh, Douglas Wheatley did the 25th anniversary one. That's the one that I've got. I actually originally had both and sold off the other one because I just wanted to have this 25th anniversary one. I'm not really big on collecting variant copies of stuff. But that one looks pretty cool. And then the rest of them are by, is it Suneo Sanda? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, but Sanda's artwork has always been awesome with Star Wars. He tends to use a lot of heavy blues and reds and such in his art, but really good stuff. There really aren't any bad covers within this group. They're all just pretty cool Vader covers, and you can see all of them you know, on a Vader calendar or something at some point. I will say I think my favorite is that 25th anniversary one because of the, the photorealism that you get with Vader and the clone troopers in that particular shot when you really look at it. But then again, like I said, none of them are particularly bad. They're all some pretty cool covers. Would have been interesting, though, for them to use some of the other characters on the covers. Because if you look at these, there isn't a single issue that shows any of the other main characters on the covers. Yeah, no it's sorrow. all Vader. Yeah, so in that sense, there's something slightly lacking, but well, good covers all around. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the precedent at this point. It was like, it's all Vader all the time. Come get your Vader fill. <laughs> we got more Vader coming and more Vader coming. Hey, that sounds like us in the next three weeks. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. 
Episodes are also available on Zoom and Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. Our Facebook page is one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or Legends slash EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible Trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you can get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, a.k.a. Legends, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll find the next Vader miniseries mostly good like this one, or crappy like Ninth Assassin that follows it. The odds that we'll get off comics soon and get back to books and pondas. Or whether we can pronounce the character's name as Chalet! Chalele! As played by Martin Lawrence. Edit that out. Point to self. Edit that out. Tongue in cheek, sarcastic. I think it makes a, an amusing way to start it out. Especially mm-hmm. when it's something where we're like, This is horrible! <laughs> <laughs> Razor's Edge, oh my god! What Kill the me f- now! Yeah, it was bad. Ruins of Tantooine, Darth Vader, the Ninth Assassin, no! Why? Why did the EU have to go out to a crap fest of crap? <laughs> Crucible, I'm looking at your ending. <laughs> Star Wars Volume 2! Why are you so pretty and yet so dumb? <laughs> anyway. Alright. Gosh, what's with these little tiny burps? You ponder about little tiny burps, and so do we. Yeah, they come out tiny, and you're like, really, that was it? I thought that was going to be chesty and, and, and like a hobbit or something, or a dwarf.